today on Cinematic Sound Radio. It's part two of my top 10 countdown of my favorite scores from 2020. On today's program, you'll hear selections five to one, featuring the work of Taro Iwashiro, Hans Zimmer, Christopher Willis, Carlos Rafael Rivera, Michael Giacchino, and Nami Melamon. My name is Eric Woods. Thank you very much for tuning in to the flagship show on the Cinematic Sound Radio Network, which begins now. Since 1996, this is the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. Welcome to the show. Thanks again for taking the time out of your busy life to listen to the program. I really do appreciate that. And if you like what you're hearing, please feel free to leave us a five-star rating and a review on your favorite podcatcher. We really do appreciate the support. Today is part two of our annual favorite scores of the year show. If you haven't done so yet, then please check out part one before diving into this episode. Before we jump into this program, I want to offer the same disclaimer I say each and every time I present my favorite scores. And here it is. These scores are my favorite scores. They are not your favorite scores. I'm sure my favorites are very different than yours. But if my favorites happen to correspond with yours, then you get bonus points in my book. I've evaluated each of these scores in and out of context, if possible. And, of course, the scores first have to serve in their film, TV show, or game. That, of course, is the primary purpose of media music. However, and this is something that I live by, and it might not be your mantra, but I honestly do think that a truly great score also functions as great music away from the film. And of course, I learned that bit from the great Alex North. So enjoy the commentary and the music. And with that, let's continue with the countdown with score number five. In at number five is The Queen's Gambit, with original music composed by Carlos Rafael Rivera. This was a miniseries on Walter Trevis's 1983 novel of the same name. It was written and directed by Scott Frank, who created it with Alan Scott. The story takes place in the mid-1950s. That's where it starts and proceeds into the 1960s. The story follows the life of Beth Harmon, played by Anya Taylor-Joy, who's an orphan chess prodigy on her rise to the top of the chess world while struggling with drug and alcohol dependency. Netflix released The Queen's Gambit in October of 2020, and after four weeks it became Netflix's most watched scripted miniseries. It was acclaimed by critics who lauded Taylor Joy's performance as well as the cinematography and production values. Another aspect of the film 
or the series that received almost unanimous praise, was Carlos Rafael Rivera's exceptional score. On top of creating an effective score underscoring the game of chess, Rivera also needed to capture in his music the life, the life of an orphan child, and the Cold War hostilities. Off the bat, Rivera knew that the score had to be piano-based. At first, the score was meant to only be performed on piano, but during the composition process, he felt that the show needed to have some added emotional depth, so the piano music was lifted up to its fullest potential with the backing of an orchestra. And with chestnut being a particularly exciting sport, like hockey, football, or soccer, Rivera's music would need to do a lot of the heavy lifting in the series. And while music for those chess sequences definitely add to the drama, it's the moments that Rivera's score, with Beth alone, in her room at night staring at the ceiling while under the influence of tranquilizers that really shine. The imaginary chessboard on the ceiling in a full 3D rendering was the representation of Beth's childhood and her dreams and fantasies of being the best chess player she could be, and thus Rivera's score matched that fantastical aspect, helping build those emotions with full-on orchestral power. Also, as Beth moved through her career as a chess player and once into the Grandmaster Championship, the entire score was full-on orchestral, and the piano was put aside to represent Beth's dreams becoming a reality. And when the series finished, on its last episode, Rivera had one more gem left, and that was his main title music that was actually supposed to play during each episode of the series, but was regulated to the end credits of the final episode, where Rivera got to unload a swirling, exciting, furious, quasi-classical cue that in its last moments introduces a clicking clock to represent the clicks of the stopwatch that is used during chess matches. This is an incredible score that, while listening to it on its own, it's fantastic, but really, to experience its power, you have to watch the series. It is so good, so mesmerizing, and as I said, just does a lot of the heavy lifting, and it's because of the music that the show is so uh, dramatic and emotional. Here now, music from my number five score of 2020. This is music from the television miniseries, The Queen's Gambit, music composed by Carlos Rafael Rivera.
music from my number five score of 2020. That is The Queen's Gambit, with original score composed by Carlos Rafael Rivera, and the original soundtrack recording is available on Maisie Music. This is the Cinematic Sound Radio Network, and you're listening to The Flagship Show with Eric Woods. Welcome back to the program. My number four favorite score of 2020 is my favorite video game score of the year. It's Medal of Honor, Above and Beyond, with music composed by Michael Giacchino and Nami Melamod. This game's a first-person shooter virtual reality video game developed by Respawn Entertainment and was directed by the original Medal of Honor creator, Peter Hirschman. The game takes place in Europe during World War II, thus taking the franchise back to its roots with the main protagonist being an OSS agent and fighter in the French Resistance. The score for the game was composed by Michael Giacchino and newcomer Nami Melumad. Giacchino and Peter Hirschman worked on the original Medal of Honor game, as well as Medal of Honor Frontline and Allied Assault. And they first worked together on the Lost World Jurassic Park video game in 1997. So when Hirschman came calling for Giacchino to work on this new version of the Medal of Honor series, even with Giacchino's busy schedule writing music for some of the biggest films in the past 15 years, he immediately said yes. He also brought on composer Nami Melamad to write the bulk of the music. Giacchino wrote the themes, Melamad wrote the underscore. The score was recorded under COVID-19 guidelines, where they recorded each group of musicians in separate sessions, string, brass, percussion, all on different days. But thankfully, the challenge of recording a score that way, and Giacchino, of course, loves to record the entire ensemble together, and I think all composers would, would rather it be that way. But thankfully, it all works together. You wouldn't know that all of the separate sections were recorded uh, separately. The score brings back the classic, traditional sound of the orchestra, which was the musical sound of the original games in this World War II series. Unfortunately, when Medal of Honor moved from the Second Great World War into more modern battles, the scores became far less memorable and entered a more gritty, more contemporary territory. But with the return of the series to its World War II roots, the classic symphonic sound was brought back as well. Working with the iconic old themes and the new themes established by Giacchino, Melamod took the mantle and crafted an extraordinary score around those themes, writing some of the most impressive classic symphonic game music in years. Much like the other scores in the series, this one is action-packed and full of excitement, but also finds the time to acknowledge the sacrifice, honor, and heroism of the soldiers who fought in World War II. Melamod had an incredible 2020. Not only did she provide the music to this game, she also worked closely with Giacchino on the score to American Pickle, which is one of the finest comedy scores written last year. We should all have our eyes and ears on Milamod. I really do hope that her career takes off and that she follows 
in the footsteps of her mentor, Chicano. The score was recorded at Abbey Road Studios in London and just sounds absolutely enormous. This is my number four favorite score of 2020. This is music from the game Medal of Honor Above and Beyond. Music composed by Michael Chicano and Nami Melumad.
Music from the soundtrack to the game Medal of Honor Above and Beyond with original score composed by Michael Giacchino, who provided the themes, and the rest of the music was composed by Nami Malumad. The score was supported by Peter Cobbin in London at Abbey Road Studios with Cliff Masterson conducting. And the original soundtrack recording is available on Lakeshore Records, and that's my number four favorite score of 2020. Bringing you the very best music for film, TV, and video games, this is the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. Welcome back to the program as we are entering top three territory right now. And in at number three is music from the drama Fukushima 50 with original score composed by Taro Iwashiro. Film was directed by Satsuro Wakamatsu and was written by Yoichi Mikawa. Stars Kochi Sato and Ken Watanabe. And it's about the titular group of employees tasked with handling the meltdown at the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear power plant after the 2011 Toku earthquake and tsunami. The film was based on the book by Ryosho Kudoda, entitled On the Brink, the Inside Story of Fukushima Daiichi. And it is the first Japanese film to depict the disaster. Uh, it really is a stunning movie that you will literally never forget. It's intense, deeply emotional, uh, full of heroism and loss. And all of that is conveyed in Taro Iwashiro's extremely impressive, expressive, and heartfelt score. If the name Taro Iwashiro is new to you, you might want to check out some of his other works like Red Cliffs, Shinobi, Heart Under Blade, and Azumi, just to name a few. He is one of Japan's most celebrated composers. This score is really the emotional heartbeat of the film and does a lot of work in helping to tell the story. I wouldn't say that it did too much, but this film is rather old-fashioned in its look, and the score followed suit. Iwashiro's emotions are on his sleeve, and I can easily tell by listening to this score that the subject matter moved him greatly. And you can really tell, especially through the opening 20-minute suite that opens the album, in which all the major thematic and musical ideas are born from. It's a four-movement piece simply called Symphonic Suite in F. It is a sweeping suite featuring big musical moments with stunning solo performances from piano virtuoso Ryu Gato, cellist Yoko Hasegawa, flautist Eliza Marshall, and vocalists Alex McSweeney, Lucas Bing, and Naomi Nakahara. The rest of the score is performed by the Tokyo Philharmonic and Chorus. Japan has always embraced expressive music of this sort in their media, whether it be video games, TV, or film. I've been singing the praises of Naoki Sato's music for years, and his scores have been featured on these lists year after year. Like Sato's music, 
Iwashiro's is big, bold, meaningful, and full of passion. Iwashiro is not afraid to grab the audience and let them feel. Holding back and not signaling or generating an emotive response is not what this kind of music is all about. This type of music is designed to make you feel something. And this is the sort of score that always connects with me the most. Iwashiro is letting us into his heart, and he poured everything he had into this film score. And what we're going to feature for you right now are selections from that stunning opening symphonic suite, simply called Symphonic Suite in F. And the hearing music of this sort is just an incredible experience. So I'm more than happy to present music from my number three favorite score of 2020, Fukushima 50, with the incredible music composed by Taro Iwashiro.
Music from my number three favorite score of 2020, Fukushima 50, with original score composed by Taro Iwashiro, and featuring the choristers of the Temple Church and the Tokyo Philharmonic Orchestra. And the original soundtrack recording is available on Universal Music. From Kitchener, Ontario, Canada, this is the Cinematic Sound Radio Network, and you're listening to The Flagship Show with Eric Woods. In at number two is Wonder Woman 1984, with original score composed by Hans Zimmer. This is the sequel to 2017's Wonder Woman, and is the ninth installment in the DC Extended Universe, or DCEU, and the film was directed by Patty Jenkins. Gal Gadot stars as Diana Prince and Wonder Woman alongside Chris Pine, Kristen Wiig, Pedro Pascal, Robin Wright, and Connie Nielsen. Film set in 1984 during the Cold War, and the film follows Diana and her past love Steve Trevor as they face off against Max Lord and Cheetah. In August of 2018, Hans Zimmer was announced as the composer of this film, replacing Rupert Gregson Williams, who scored the first film. Zimmer previously scored Man of Steel and Batman vs. Superman, Dawn of Justice, the first and second films in the DC Extended Universe, and the latter, which also featured Wonder Woman. Before the film came out, and of course the film was delayed because of COVID, uh, we got a taste of the score as a, a single was released of the opening cue, Themyscira. And when I first listened to this track... And even just before I hit play, I was worried. I thought the score would be trending more towards the dark side of the DCEU, which that tone and mood had been present in almost all of the DCEU scores, minus the splendid Benjamin Wallfish score to Shazam, which to me is easily one of the best scores written in this universe of film. So when I hit play on Demascara, it started off with some darker, moody music. Uh, Tina Guo's cello playing started it off, and there were these low clusters and notes, and I was like, oh no, here we go again. <laughs> but then only seconds later, Hans Zimmer introduces this wonderful, light, airy ostinato, and then voices in warm horns, and, and everything begins to sound so incredibly optimistic and then a minute into the piece the cue just explodes and we get to in the film see our first glimpse of uh, Themyscira and within the score the the voices are louder the strings are louder and it's a celebratory moment and the choir is chanting and everything is going against my expectations. I remember playing the piece for uh, Robert Daniels and, and David Cusina. They are both uh, hosts here at Cinematic Sound Radio. And as I was playing it, we were all just kind of looking at each other going, what is this? I, this, is, this is the Hans Zimmer I remember loving. We're all tapping our toes on the floor uh, to what we were hearing, and it was just absolutely surprising. I can't remember the last time we had Zimmer writing something with so much optimism and hopefulness and strength and, and heroism. Maybe 
Amazing Spider-Man 2. And it doesn't stop with the first cue. The film opens up uh, with a young Diana Prince participating in a athletic event on Themyscira um, against the older Amazons. And so Zimmer unloads one of his most exciting action cues in years, helping propel young Diana to the finish line with hints of the original Wonder Woman theme and ostinato that was first introduced in Batman vs. Superman underneath the almost the entire queue. And it's splendid. And after this flashback, we move to 1984, where we get a, a chance to experience a fun Wonder Woman rescue in a mall that harkens back to the opening of Superman 3 somewhat. It's light in tone as Wonder Woman performs heroic feats in front of an audience, which includes wide-eyed young girls who begin to look up to Wonder Woman as a role model. It's all rather lighthearted and, and it's really a lot of fun to watch. But as for the rest of the film from that point on, uh, well, I mean, the, the less we talk about it, the better. And for those that have seen the movie, I think they know what I'm talking about. It, it really isn't a good movie. But the highlight of the film is easily Hans Zimmer's splendid score with Steve Mazzaro and David Fleming getting additional music credits. This is the score that surprised me the most last year. I didn't expect in a million years that I would enjoy it so much. And when I got the album, I couldn't stop playing it. It was that good. It was that fun. It was that memorable. I mean, thinking about memorable, I mean, the original Wonder Woman theme is in the score, but Hans Zimmer takes that theme and expands on it and offers a wonderful variation on it throughout um, the film. And it's, it's just fantastic uh, to listen to. This particular sound that Zimmer created for this film score is, is a sound that I grew up with and remember loving when Zimmer started writing music for film in the 80s and 90s. And I'm glad to see that he can return to that style with ease and just absolutely knock it out of the park. I mean, you rarely hear this kind of enthusiasm and expression in, in blockbuster Hollywood films these days. It rarely is the key word. It's not never, but rarely. But this score is a complete 180 from where Zimmer started in the DCEU, and even with his Batman scores for Christopher Nolan. What really separates this score from other modern disastrous fare is Zimmer's sense of optimism, which has been sucked dry out of a lot of film music these days. I'm not saying that it's gone completely, but to have a score like this at this moment in time, COVID and all that other nonsense, I think it's something special and should be celebrated. Now, is Wonder Woman 1984 the best thing ever written in the history of film music? No, I mean, at least I don't think so, but this score made me feel something other than gloom and doom. And when the hairs on my arms stand up and the shivers go up and down my spine, the same way they do when I hear something like John Williams' Superman, then Zimmer is doing something right. And if you are expecting Zimmer to write like John Williams, Horner, Goldsmith, Korngold, etc., then you are already setting yourself up for disappointment. Zimmer is Zimmer. You can accept that or just always hate everything he does because he isn't someone else. Anyway, I, I truly think anybody that is bashing this score is missing out on something unique in modern film music these days. And 
that's just a pure sense of fun. This is Hans Zimmer's music from Wonder Woman 1984, my number two favorite score from 2020. Oh, shit.
Music from Wonder Woman 1984, with original score composed by Hans Zimmer, and the original soundtrack recording was released through Water Tower Music. Bringing you the very best music for film, TV, and video games, this is the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. Welcome back to the show, and we've sadly come to the end of yet another edition of the flagship show here on the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. But before we go, I'd like to present for you my number one favorite score of 2020. It comes from the film The Personal History of David Copperfield, with music by Christopher Willis. The film was written and directed by Armando Annucci, based on the Victorian-era novel David Copperfield by Charles Dickens. The film stars Dev Patel as the title character. The world premiere of the film uh, was at the Toronto International Film Festival in September of 2019. However, it was theatrically released in the UK in January of 2020 and in the US in August of 2020. So that's why it is a 2020 score for us. So for me, the score by Christopher Willis is one of the most expressive scores of the year combining numerous musical styles into one. If you're a fan of anything Don Davis has ever written or anything in the realm of 20th century minimalism, post-minimalism and romanticism, polytonal minimalism, atonality, and cluster writing combined with tonal writing, think of the minimalistic approach of Adams, Reich, Corcoliano mixed with John Williams, Vaughn Williams, and other romantic-styled composers then this one is right up your alley. There's also a good hint of Stravinsky in the writing as well. Christopher Willis is not only a great film composer, but a, a master composer, a learned composer as well. That only means that he's going to deliver great things time and time again. The personal history of David Copperfield is simply put a magical score that really lifts up the emotions on screen and binds the film together and foreshadows David's adventures to come. Magical is the key word because with all of the strange, weird, and eccentric characters on screen, it would be easy for Willis to follow suit. He doesn't and writes what you might not necessarily expect or match what you're seeing on screen, and subconsciously he offers you alternate emotions to feel while you are watching these characters move throughout the story. Musically, there is nothing that comes even close this year to maturing the mastery of the craft the way Willis has with this score. The layering, the themes, the variations on those themes, the kineticism, the depth, the craftsmanship, the emotions, the, the weaving of the solo instruments, the violins, the violas, the cellos that give the score a unique texture and sound. Christopher Willis actually explained that this sort of layering gives the score a yearning quality. It's utterly brilliant, and it's everything I've ever wanted out of a film score. This much thought and mastery of the craft. And what I think is so great about the collaboration between Anucci and Willis is that Anucci is always allowing Willis to essentially write 
pure music that just so happens to work as film music as well. The compositions and or musicianship is just as important as the music working in context, and I absolutely love that line of thinking. The score was performed by the Aurora Orchestra under its founder and principal conductor, Nicholas Kalan, an old friend of Christopher Willis. The Aurora Orchestra is a chamber orchestra and resident orchestra at King's Place. It is thought to be one of UK's most adventurous orchestras, renowned for being the first professional orchestra to perform entire symphonies without sheet music. That's insane. The score was recorded at Beautiful Air Studios, which offers a wonderful sound to any score that's performed there. The orchestra just sounds magnificent, and they gave Willis a virtuosic performance of his score. The score won the 2020 IFMCA Award for Best Film Score for a Comedy Film and the Best Overall Film Score of the Year. Christopher Willis is turning out to be one of the best composers working today, and I cannot wait to see where his career is going to take him. I only hope it flourishes, and I wish him much success in the future. And with Willis and the rest of the composers in this countdown writing music of this caliber, then the future of film music is in very, very good hands. This is my number one favorite score of 2020, The Personal History of David Copperfield, with music composed by Christopher Willis and the original soundtrack recording. It's available on the MVKA label. And with that, thanks again for tuning in. I really do appreciate you taking the time to join me today. And until next time, take care, wherever you are, and happy listening.
Thank you for tuning in to the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. I want to thank Tim Burden for providing his voice for all the bumpers and stingers you hear throughout the program, and David Cosina for providing Cinematic Sound Radio's theme music. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, please email us at cinematicsound at yahoo.com. You can find us on social media at Sinsound Radio on Twitter and Cinematic Sound on Facebook. And if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, please take a moment right now to rate the show and write a brief review. Reviews help introduce potential listeners to the show. And while you're at it, head over to TeePublic to get a Cinematic Sound Radio t-shirt. And don't forget to check out Cinematic Sound Radio at cinematicsound.net. <laughs>